Good morning, Parkway Church. How you guys doing today? Good. I am so glad you're here with us, whether you're gathered at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, or online. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege today to wrap up this series, Unstoppable. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Acts together to see how the church was formed and how the Spirit of God works in our lives as believers in Christ. And I'm so glad that you're here. We began this series with a look at the fact that God gives us unstoppable power. Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem. And when they received his power, they would become his witnesses. When they received his spirit, they would become his witnesses. First in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then till the ends of the earth. And then we see those disciples, when the spirit came on them, go and preach. And 3,000 people believed in one day. And they were baptized and added to the church. This unstoppable power is what makes the church not only a good thing, but a God thing. Because it's his spirit that works in us. And that when the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit and committed to each other and pointing people to the cross of Christ, that is unstoppable power that we have together. Today, as we continue in worship, we're going to see some people go public with their faith through baptism at each location. We're going to see some people get dipped back in the water, and then they're going to be raised up out of the water. When I dip them back in the water, it's a picture of them dying to their old selves. And when we raise them back up out of the water, it's a picture of the new life that we have in Christ. We're going to see people go public with their faith today. And I encourage you, whether you came planning to leave church wet or not, like if you haven't been baptized, even if you weren't planning on today being your day, what are you waiting for? The Holy Spirit of God is alive and working in your life. Go public with your faith through baptism. And we've got everything you need at every campus. Shorts, t-shirts, towels. We've got everything you need to overcome any excuse. And so go public with your faith today. In a little while, I'm going to just tell you where to go so you can connect with the people on your campus to get baptized. But as I preach, I'm going to give you something to think about and pray about and consider personally. If you've never gone public with your faith, through baptism, make today your day. This unstoppable power was unleashed in the church, and the church has an unstoppable message. We saw the, the, the religious leaders of the day try and change the story of God. We saw the, the, the religious and offic officials of the day try and imprison the apostles so they no longer preach the word of God. And yet what happened? The more man tried to stop it, it was unstoppable. And I remind you, that God's word is unstoppable still today. In a world where people say hats are racist and walls are immoral and killing babies is legal, can I remind you that the word of God is still unstoppable and that the church of Christ must preach it unashamedly and the church of Christ must call the church to follow Christ with all of his love and all of his commands in the world. And then we looked last week at the unstoppable mission of God. The persecution of the church was meant to kill it, to tap it out. When they started killing people like Stephen and they started imprisoning believers, going house to house, putting men and women in prison for one reason, because they're believers in Jesus. It was meant to stop it. But what it actually did with God's unstoppable mission, it actually spread it. Because these men and women 
that were told, stop preaching about Jesus or we'll put you in jail, they left and they went to places like Judea and Samaria, exactly where Jesus told them they would go. And they preached and they experienced people believing in Christ and there was great joy in these cities. See, this mission of God, it can't be stopped. And today we're going to look at the unstoppable strategy of God that we see in the book of Acts. And in a world that's desperate to see God, in a world that desperately needs to see God, his truth, in a world that desperately needs to see God, his truth, and how he loves them, in a world like you and I live in, we get to be a part of God's unstoppable strategy. There was a kindergarten teacher that assigned a task to her class. She said, I want you to draw something that you love. She gave a pack of crayons and a blank sheet of paper. Draw something you love. This one boy started drawing a football team. It was the Dallas Cowboys. So you could tell it wasn't the playoffs. And, and, and he was just loving this team, right? And then there was a little girl that was drawing a house with a tree and the car and the picket fence and the puppy out front. And then there was this little girl that was drawing something the teacher didn't recognize. And so the teacher comes up and says, what are you drawing, sweetheart? And the little girl looks up and says, I'm drawing God. And the teacher looked down and said, sweetie, nobody knows what God looks like. And she said, they're about to. (laughs) What if the church saw their unstoppable strategy as show the world who God is. In the book of Acts, we see the church do this in a very powerful and practical way. So if you brought your Bible, we're going to look in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. If you didn't bring your Bible, no worries. We gave you an outline that you can follow along on your way in. You can also follow along in the Parkway app. Here's the story. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So as the early church is growing and the early church is ministering to people, more and more people believe. And some of those are widows who don't have families to take care of them. And so the church's responsibility, the church's role is to make sure that those widows who have no one to care for them are fed to make sure that those widows are cared for. Jesus' half-brother James said that pure religion is taking care of widows, right? And so they were doing it, except there was a problem. There was a group of widows that didn't feel like they were being cared for as well as another group of widows. The widows from a Greek background didn't feel like they were being cared for as well as those from a Hebrew background. And so there was a problem. And as we stop right here and consider The reality of this, in every church, even the best of churches, there are issues. We teach about the Spirit of God moving in the early church and thousands of people getting saved. I'd love to be a part of that. We teach about their generosity and how they shared everything and had all things in common. They were one heart, one mind. Oh, I'd love to be a part of a faith community like that. But then now we see that even this amazing faith community Even this church has a problem. There's like 
people not being cared for. There's a hint of racism in this problem. Why are the Hebrew ladies being cared for and the Hellenistic ladies not? See, every church, even the best churches, have issues. But you know what? God still chooses as his strategy to show the world who he is. This imperfect, this improbable church that he's forming. One day I was in Walmart and I saw a friend coming up. I'd known him for 25 years. Hadn't seen him at church in a while and I was, you know, you're going to say hi. And before I could say hi, he said, you want me to tell you why I'm not going to your church anymore? I looked back at him and said, no, but I think you're going to anyway. He was a friend, so I was going to have a little bit of fun. He said, I don't go to your church anymore because of all the lights and the smoke. It's like a bar or a honky-tonk. It's not like a church. And I looked at him and said, well, I haven't been to a bar in 20 years, so you're going to have to be the expert on that one, I guess. I said, you know, the smoke and the lights, it's not about performance and production. And in that moment, it didn't really matter what I said. We were just having a conversation where he was going to get some things off his chest and I was going to poke a few jabs as I could. Do you realize that every church has problems and no church is perfect for every person? And so even in the book of Acts, we see this imperfect church where people are trying to do life together, trying to honor God together, which is our heart at Parkway Church. We want to do life and we want to honor God together. And yet there was a problem that arose. How would they solve it? How would they show God to the world? Acts 6, 2 through 3. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we, and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the problem, there's a group not being taken care of. The challenge, well, if, if the 12 apostles meet these needs, then they can't preach and they can't teach and they can't pray. They can't point people to the cross of Christ, which is what gives life. And so what do they do? They say, let's choose seven from among us. And this was a church of thousands at this point. Let's choose seven from among us who are full of the Holy Spirit and are full of wisdom. God's working in their life and they know how to make some decisions. They are wise. Let's choose them and they will meet the needs of the people so that we can stay committed to prayer and we can stay committed to the preaching of God's word. Friends, never miss it. When the church is committed to the right things and the church is committed to preaching Christ and Christ crucified and the church is devoted to each other, the church is a good thing and the church is a God thing. And so these apostles didn't want to stop what was happening. I mean, they were seeing people healed. They were seeing people's lives changed. They were believing in Jesus and finding life. And yet there was this need. So let's find seven from among us who can serve. Seven that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and let them serve. Acts 6, 5 and 6. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. We learned about Stephen last week when he was martyred. We've kind of rewinded the story. Now we see Stephen full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timion, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. One of the things that I find fascinating is that there was an issue within the the Greek or the Hellenistic branch of the church. Did you notice how Greek some of these names are that were called to meet the needs of the church? You see, God's going to call people from within the church to meet the needs of the church. He's going to call people, even one who was a convert from Judaism, which means he was a a recent addition to the faith. Even he can come and serve in the name of Jesus to meet a need. And so they had these seven men, and they laid hands on them. Anytime you see in the Bible laying on of hands, it's it's a moment where they're acknowledging the Holy Spirit at work in this person's life, and they're sending them out to serve in the power of that Spirit. And what a moment this must have been as they laid hands on these men because it was just weeks before that the Holy Spirit of God had come upon them and Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses and you'll have power. It was just recently that the Holy Spirit of God came in the upper room and they saw a flame and they testified. It was just recently that God worked miraculously through a few and now he was about to work miraculously through many. He was about to do in them what he had done in the apostles. He was about to use them. And it wasn't based on who they were or their experience. These men, like, what were they going to do? They were going to serve people. It says they were going to wait on tables. Like, they didn't, they didn't wait tables back in college. They didn't have any retail experience. They didn't have any customer service experience. What did they have? They had the Holy Spirit of God, and they had wisdom. They had the Holy Spirit of God working in them, and they were wise enough to say yes to God when he called. How do you know when the Holy Spirit is working in you? Maybe you need to ask the question, you know, when God is up to something, what do you naturally do? Maybe you ask the question, when you see a need, what do you naturally do? Like some of us, if we saw some water spilled on the ground, like we might look and go, oh, Somebody needs to clean that water up. And so you're going to go and serve immediately. You're going to find a paper towel. You're going to find a mop, and you're going to be cleaning. Others of us, when they see a need, they might look, and they've got the gift of leadership, and they go, I wonder what 12 things went wrong so that that water would be spilled on the floor right there. Like they begin to see, how can I mobilize people so that we never spill water again unless we plan on it? And then maybe some of us have the gift of mercy. Oh, my goodness, they spilled their water. I hope they're okay. Oh, I'm going to go love on them because when you spill your water, that's a real sad time in life. And so I'm going to go care for you. And the the, the leader and the, the servant are like, get out of the way, mercy. We got work to do. But what do you naturally do when a need arises? What do you naturally do when God moves? Like when we're in a worship service and it's clear that God is, is, is ministering to many. It's clear that we are praising him and, and he's working in you. What do you do? Like for some of us, like I, you'll find me in the best of our worship services. The better our services get, the more likely I am to be typing with my thumbs on my phone. Because when God moves, what do I do? I write. When God moves, what do I do? I get ready to teach. When God moves, what do you do? 
What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Man, I want you to think about what you love most, second to Jesus. How could you use that passion to help others know Jesus? You love fishing? How can you help others as we build relationships that build disciples? How can you use that passion so that people become fishers of men? You like shooting hoops? How can you use a passion for athletics or basketball as a way to introduce people to Jesus? What is it that you love to do? Because when we put our passion with our faith, the Spirit of God can use us in powerful ways. What about this? What have you been trained to do? Isn't it time that you put your parents' college money to use for the kingdom of God? Isn't it time that you've been trained and equipped to do something? You say, God, I'm going to let you use it. These men would wait on tables. What will you do for God when he prompts you? What will you do for God when he shows you that you've been empowered by his spirit to serve others? Let's see how this story plays out. So we wrap up Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So how did this strategy, 12 apostles plus 7 deacons, how did it work out? It worked out perfectly because it's God's unstoppable strategy. Think about this. 12 apostles plus 7 deacons served and empowered and preached to congregation of thousands in a city like Jerusalem, such that even the hardest people to reach, the priests of Judaism, were being reached with faith and not the law. We're being reached with grace and not just the rules. I mean, can you imagine that? As we look at how this plays out in our daily life, in the life of our church, God's unstoppable strategy comes from these three things. First one is this. As needs increase, so do numbers. Or let me get it right as I wrote it. You can fill in the blank. Needs increase with numbers. There was a tipping point within this first church where the apostles were able to preach and care. The apostles were able to preach and love. The apostles were able to preach and make sure everybody had the food they needed, the widows on the list. But then there became a point where it didn't work anymore. Because when the numbers increased, so did the need. And, and they had a simple strategy for, for solving this one. And every disciple, and I hope you see this, a disciple's one who's believed in Jesus for eternal life and is following him with all of their life. Every disciple can, can tap into this simple strategy. Here it is. If you see a need, you meet that need. As God has wired and gifted you to do it. If you see a need, you meet a need. Needs increase with numbers. So if you see a need, you meet a need. In your house, can we all agree, needs increase with numbers. When you had your second baby, <laughs> those needs increased, correct? When you had your third baby, you wondered what in the world did we do? Those needs increase with numbers. You get an extra student in your classroom. That one extra student 
needs increase with numbers. The very same thing is true in church. Needs increase with numbers. So what do disciples do? Disciples notice the need and take action. One who's following Jesus with their life says, I see a need. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to solve it. I'm not going to just be critical of it. I'm going to be a solution to the problem. I am going to take action because I see a problem. You know, in the church world, we could never, ever hire enough people to meet every need that gathers in our church. In fact, one of the things that I'm so thankful for for our church is that even if we could afford to hire someone to meet every need, we wouldn't do it. Because we see our job, and it's been this way since the beginning of our church, the pastor's job here is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're not to do it all. We're to equip, we're to empower, we're to coach, we're to challenge, we're to invite. So that you can see a need and meet a need. As you think about the world around you, where has a need increased that you need to notice so that you can be a part of meeting it and bringing life in that situation? Second, ministries meant to be shared. They had their first ever church business meeting. They said, we got a problem. They're not, these ladies aren't being taken care of like lead, these ladies. The widows need help. So they called everybody together, said, here's our solution. And they loved it. They said, this pleased everyone. What was it that was pleasing? People's needs would be met and the gospel would still be preached. People's needs would be met and the priority of the church would stay as it should. The priority of the church wouldn't change. Ministries meant to be shared. As we look at the Holy Spirit of God empowering people to serve, at Parkway Church, we're not looking for volunteers. In fact, volunteers, it, it, volunteer is one of those words around here that we, we, have, we should have a jar and that every time somebody says the word volunteer, they should have to put five bucks in it, which means I'm already down 15. Because we're not looking for volunteers. We're looking for people who will serve Jesus. We're not looking for volunteers of the church or for the church. We're looking for and sharing ministry with servants of Jesus Christ. And there is a big difference. The other day, I received a summons in the mail. You know that summons that says, you've been called to serve on a jury? Oh, that card. It's, it's that big so that you can't ignore it. It's that big so you have to pay attention to it. It gives you the date, the time that you're to show up at the courthouse. It even tells you in little print, if you don't, we'll come get you, right? And so I get this summons. And as an American, this is a part of my civic duty. Second to voting, this is a huge role for me to fulfill as an American. And I don't want to do it. And so I show up to the courthouse and there's 300 other people there that don't want to do it. And we're all walking in like, I hope I don't get chosen. We're, and, and so they do this whole process, right? They, they let some come up and give their excuses. And I wish they'd make you say those excuses out loud. And we all get to vote, right? They don't. 
secret. It would have been so much more fun if it was Judge Judy and everybody's got to share their stuff in front of everybody. Some have excuses, some have exclusions, and so they step out. And then there are some that are chosen from that group that remains to splinter off into courtrooms because they might be chosen for a jury. So I get there and I make the first pass. I don't have a valid excuse or a valid reason not to serve. I make the second pass and they say, you are juror number six in this courtroom. Please go have a seat. And I'm sitting there in this, this room and they're about to ask us some questions to determine whether or not they want us on the jury. There's about 30 people in there with me and none of us want to be there. None of us. And they, they, they start by saying this. If you're juror one through 10, you're likely going to be on the jury today. I was juror number six. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, no. I'm likely to be chosen. And they told us this would only be a three-witness trial. It's going to last one afternoon. No big deal. And yet none of us wanted to be on the jury. So they asked some questions. Do you know anybody in the room? Why well, do half the room because of what I do and how long I've been in Victoria? Do you know anybody in the room? I know them, I know them, I know them. I know that attorney. You're not going to want me on the jury if I know that attorney, right? That's like, let's make sure and put it out there. Let's be 100% honest so that I can get out of serving in this way. And so they announced the jury and I was released. And everybody that was released ran out in celebration. And everybody else was acting like they were walking the green mile, like they were paying, like this is their last day, right? Folks, is that how the church sees ministry? This ministry that is a duty, not unto the church, but unto Christ himself. This duty that's meant to be shared. We don't have the same jurors that go and judge every jury trial. And we should say, thank God for that. We also have the same men and women that go and serve everywhere all the time in the church. Why? Because ministry is meant to be shared. And so we do a few things to help share ministry around here. There's an insert in your bulletin. I encourage you to check it out. You can look at your schedule and see when you're available and find a place where you can serve in the church and in the community. We also do things like Love Your Neighbor Weekend. Because sometimes it's scary to serve by yourself. This is such a key moment in your life as a disciple. When you go and serve someone else, it reminds you that Jesus served you first and he wants you to serve others because of what he's done for you. And so we do Love Your Neighbor Weekends where we go out in the community and we serve as families and small groups and teams of people go out and make a difference together because ministry is meant to be shared. And so I'm just asking you, will you look at what God is doing in you and not pull back and say, I'm too busy. Not pull back and say, I don't want to do it. Not pull back and come up for your exclusions or excuses. But instead, sign up. Because it is your duty before the Lord. And as you do, this third thing is also true. God calls and empowers the church to meet the needs of the church. You can fill in that blank. God calls and empowers the church to meet the needs of the church. God's only strategy for showing the world what he looks like is you and me. Men and women 
families empowered by the Son of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, committed to each other, out serving to share the love and message of Jesus. That's his unstoppable strategy. And it's never, ever going to change. He calls and he equips the church to meet the needs of the church. Listen to this. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you have been created on purpose by God for his purposes. Before you were even born, God created you to meet needs today. Before you were even a believer in Jesus Christ, God created you to meet needs today. Before you ever stepped foot into this faith community, God created you so that you would meet needs of people here and now. He calls and he equips the church to meet the needs of the church. In just a minute, we're going to see people go public with their faith through baptism. And at Parkway Victoria, we've got students coming in now to witness it. And I just encourage you, if you are on the fence about going public or not, make today your day. Make today your day. Because God calls and empowers the church to meet the needs of the church. And you're gonna encourage us by getting baptized today. As I think about the church calling and equipping, Think about a bowl game that I went to between Christmas and New Year's. My son Nick plays in the Baylor Golden Wave Band, and they were playing in the Texas Bowl, which was at NRG Stadium. Vanderbilt versus Baylor. Uh, like Expensive versus expensive. Like, who would win? All the parents were losers, but some of the, one football team would win, right? And so Nick marches in the band, and, and we were so excited to see him march and, and play as he did in this NFL stadium. It was awesome. And one of the things they did at the game was they would call out rows in certain sections. They would say, if you're sitting in section 121, row 12, stand up. And all the people on 121, row 12 would stand up and they'd be excited because they just won like a a year's worth of Chipotle, right? They would just be so ecstatic. I looked at Christy and I said, I'm gonna do that at church. And today's the day. Today's the day. So if you are sitting five rows from the back at any campus, I want you to stand up. Five rows from the back. Y'all can help each other with the math. (laughs) Five rows from the back, everybody stand up. I mean, at this football game, they stood up with energy and with excitement because they were about to get something. Y'all are standing up like you're at a, anyway. Here's, here's, Here's what you do. If you are standing right now, you've been called and you will be equipped by God to go and serve students. So you can leave the service now. You have been chosen. Why are you sitting down? Okay, you can be seated. You say, Mike, you didn't do to us what they did to section 12, 112. You know, you didn't do to us because here's the deal. In the church, You don't show up just to consume. In the church, you show up to contribute. And God calls and equips the church to meet the needs of the church. So gang, what's God's unstoppable strategy? And by the way, 
If you were sitting five rows from the back, you don't really have to serve students. You don't. Babies. Babies. <laughs> Next week, you can change some diapers. It's awesome. Babies. What's God's unstoppable strategy to show the world who he is? It's you and me. Serving others and sharing the love and message of Jesus. It's us. So I encourage you to be like that little girl and say, God, how can I show the world who you are? They haven't seen you in my office, but they're about to see you in the way I live. They haven't seen you in my neighborhood, but they're about to see you in the way that I serve. They haven't seen you, but they're about to. Because I am going to serve you and share your love and your message. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to learn and grow together. God, I pray right now that you would help us all take our next step with you. Lord, I pray for those who will be baptized today. Lord, I pray that you would spur them right now to make that move. God, that you would instruct them to take their next step. In Lone Tree, in Port Lavaca, Parkway, Victoria. God, we pray for you to show us what you're up to in the church. God, I pray also for believers, Lord, that they would commit to show the world who you are. God, may we be disciples who are following you, which means we serve others. Help us as we prioritize and help us as we look at our life and the life you've given us in Christ to be full of the Spirit and to be ready to say yes to you. And God, I pray for those that are here that aren't believers yet. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus yet, your next step isn't to serve. Your next step is to believe have faith in Christ. The Bible says Jesus served you by dying in your place, and by being raised again from the dead. And he offers life to all who would believe. If today's your day to believe, let somebody know. Tell that friend that brought you, use a response card in front of you. Stop by the information center at your location and pick up a new believer's kit. Or if today's your day, maybe you get, pub, go, get baptized right now. If today's your day, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.